So how's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. And that baby is gone. Olsen wins it off Hader in the bottom of the 10th inning. And you know where we're going. Pack your bags, folks. All aboard. Next stop. And here's the 1-0 pitch to Matt. Swung on, launched to left field deep. Van going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And a miraculous comeback by the A's in the ninth is capped by Matt Chapman's three-run home run. And the A's have won the game. You're now listening to The Seam Hits with Adam Copeland, Ted Ramey, and Rob Bermudez. Only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Y'all got to understand, too, because y'all going to be like, bro, Blake, play for the love of the game, man. What's wrong with you, bro? Money should not be a thing. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It 100% should be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting the money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. So I'm really getting like 25%. On top of that, it's getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm actually making to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't making shit. And on top of that, so all that money's gone. And now I play risking my life. And and, what, and if I get the Rona, on top of that, if I get the Rona, guess what happens with that? Oh, yeah, that stay, that's in my body forever. That damage is not going to be, like, the damage that was done to my body, that's going to be there forever. So now I got to play with that on top of that. So... Y'all got, I mean, y'all got to understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pay, like, bro, this, yeah, man, I got to, no, I got to get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I'm making is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Like, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry. So in my head, I'm preparing for next season. And I'm preparing, well, I'm actually preparing for right now. But as if I'm preparing for next season. Like, it's it's super weird, man. More Twitch streams for us, that's facts. But guys, I'm just saying, man, it just doesn't make sense for me to lose all of that money and then go play and then be on lockdown not around my family, not around the people I love, and get paid way to hell less, and then the risk of injury runs every time I step on the field. So it's it's just it's not worth it. It's not. I love baseball to death. It's just not worth it. What is going on, everybody? It's the Seamheads Podcast. Adam Copeland, Ted Ramey, Rob Bermudez, back talking more baseball during the quarantine. And the voice you just heard, that of former Cy Young Award winner, left-handed pitcher from the Tampa Bay Rays, Blake Snell, uh, who said on his Twitch account, that would have been on uh, on Wednesday night, uh, he's doing, I guess, a, a video interview, guys, with with some, some fans or communicating with fans and effectively says he's not playing for less money. And I think a lot of those comments rub people the wrong way. So what's up, fellas? And... Uh, and were you shocked by these comments? Yeah, what's up, guys? I wasn't necessarily shocked by the comments. 
I was shocked by the tone of the delivery, especially when he cited the amount of money he's going to be taxed. Cause like he's still going to be making a pretty penny compared to the rest of America, compared to what people are going through right now, unemployment. There's all sorts of issues that are happening across the country. So again, a little tone deaf or, um, you know, bad optics as they like to say, I just didn't, uh, he, he sounds bad, but he makes a couple of good points in the midst of sounding like a jackass. So I'm kind of, I'm torn because on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, I agree. And on the other hand, I'm like, boy, you really should have rethought these statements because I guarantee no one, he did not think these comments were probably going to go as wide as they did, right? I mean, Rob, do you think he was, he wasn't doing like a press conference. This was on his Twitch account. Yeah, I, I mean, he had the whole slapdick prospect uh, thing a few months ago when they traded Tommy <laughs> yeah. Pham. And I don't think in the moment when he's like slapdick prospect, I don't think he thought that was going to explode. So uh, it, it might just be the, the informal setting of Twitch. He doesn't feel like he has to really think as hard about what he's saying or or think about the the tone in which it comes across. But I completely agree, Ted and Adam, that, like... The, if you just take what he's saying at its core, I agree with it completely. The The fact that when owners make a ton of money, if owners are making way more money than they anticipated in a season, they don't say, hey, players, guess what? We made an extra, you know, $100 million in revenue out of nowhere. We're going to give it to you players. The owners get to keep it. And so for them to say, you know, now that we're losing some money, we want this agreement that we came about your contract, your salary, we want to renegotiate because we're finally potentially seeing some losses. Uh, and by the way, go ahead and risk your your well-being, your future career. If you get this, it's apparently got long-term consequences too. It's not just being sick for a week or two. People come back with reduced capacity for their, their lungs and other organs. So I, I get what he's saying. Why am I going to increase the amount of risk that I'm taking and take less money? But when you start saying, oh, I'm getting taxed, you live in Florida. You you play in Florida. You want to complain about taxes. It's not like he's in, in California where we're paying a lot more in taxes if we were making what he's making. And so it does come across completely tone deaf when you have over 30 million people filing for unemployment in the last couple months. And he's saying, man, they already taxed me and now they want to take less. But it, at its core, he's right. He shouldn't have to take less money to put himself in harm's way. Well, my takeaway from this is, is kind of twofold because with the NBA, we know it's a player's league. It's a player-driven league. The players can put pressure on the league to do something. I think back um, most heavily to, how about the Donald Sterling thing that went down with the LA Clippers, right? Where players spoke out and and, and you get Doc Rivers to speak out and say, look, I don't like playing for or, or working for a man who's walking around with racist connotation and statements that he makes to a woman of color. And, and they put pressure on the league and things were done. He was banned for life. I'm not saying that happened solely because of the players, but in the NBA, the players appear to have that power in the MLB. It is a generational battle between owners, the major league baseball powers that be and the players getting equal pay and equal ability here. We're also coming up on what's going to be a, a, uh, a, uh, a collective bargaining agreement sometime after the 2021 season when that expires. So to, I, I think about this twofold, I go, okay, one, this is great because we never get MLB players uh, biting back or clapping back against the league. We had some Trevor Bauer comments that we'll get to in just a minute that kind of go hand in hand with this Blake Snow thing but um I, i'm one i'm encouraged and i'm i'm happy and excited that a guy is speaking up and i'm not one to count another guy's money but i do think that the, he's got a point here in saying like hey we agreed in march to take a a 
prorated salary coming into this season. And now they're going to tell us, hey, uh, you now have to take another pay cut. We're hoping that you take another pay cut. There's also the debate that this wasn't even a legitimate uh, uh, offer on the table for Major League Baseball, that maybe this was just a way that owners are saying, let's get the ball rolling on some kind of discussion. Now, the other side of this is there's definitely a bit of tone deafness here, right? Like you've got to read the room. You've got to, in saying, hey, I'm not putting my life at risk here. Like, dude, there are people whose lives are at risk. There are people who have actually died who have loved ones and family members and friends who have died from this thing. I'm not saying it would not impact you the same way, but I think there's a level to what's going on here with the importance of, of where baseball stands and the importance of where your stance on this issue stands when there are 33 million people out of work, Ted. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I think we need to know is how baseball is planning to manage this risk and how exactly they're going to make this work. Like, are they going to be testing everybody daily? Are they going to be testing all the employees are going to be serving the hotels daily? How are they going to mitigate risk? I mean, we heard, to jump back to the NBA, Mark Cuban said when the Dallas Mavericks can get tested like the White House gets tested, I'll think about letting my guys play again, which I thought was a really good comparison because that's how we know that the press secretary for the vice president suddenly had uh, coronavirus, whereas a day before they didn't. They tested negative, and that's how we know that the chauffeur for uh, Trump would test a positive and for... Uh, valet, uh, Ted. He was valet, a valet. Excuse me. The, uh, <laughs> I get my terminology for the billionaire <laughs> class. Uh, I, I want to make sure we're keeping yeah. things 100% accurate on the Seamheads podcast. Of, yeah. of course. No, by all due means. But that, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, what what is baseball doing to mitigate the risk? And then... You know, how, how do we compare these comments with the money argument or the monetary argument versus what we've heard all along from Mike Trout, where he's just saying, I don't want to play unless we have a vaccine. I mean, how do we look at that? That That's the big thing for me also is in the NBA, you hear your superstars and they are very vocal. You hear LeBron James, you hear Steph Curry. When they think something, they let it be known. And I think that's great. And, and they... You look at the NBA, the players have a ton of power. When they want to get traded, they say, I want to be traded. And generally, they're traded within a month or two, right? You see, there's just so much power that it's such a star-driven league in the NBA. I want to hear more big-name baseball players come out and echo a similar sentiment to what Blake Snell is, but with a lot more tact, hopefully, and saying, look, if someone offers you hey, do you want to work your job for less money and be put in harm's way? Oh, and by the way, you might not be able to see your family for months and you're going to be isolated and everything is going to be different and it might have long-term effects on future seasons where it, these guys aren't just worrying about this current season, right? If they get the coronavirus and their body is taxed for it and they're not the same pitcher or hitter that they were, well, all of a sudden that affects future contracts. If the numbers are not reflective because... They risked it to play this season. I 100% understand why they would pause and say, is this really the smartest decision? Because we always say baseball is a business, right? And these players are part of a business. They need to be thinking about their long-term health, their long-term financial ability. And if this is something that's going to f potentially harm them in the long term, well, of course they have to take that into consideration. Now, again, tact and and reading the room is very important, but I just want to see the big names in baseball say, look, we don't want to keep taking less and less and less because at the end of the day, when you do have a collectively bargained agreement between owners and players, if you give them an inch now, it might not seem like much, but there is no promise that if you give them an inch now, 
in 20 after the 2021 season the owners might ask for a mile so you know you're you're trying to figure out what's the best way to get baseball back as soon as possible while keeping the players healthy while keeping the people who are working with these players healthy while also keeping everyone happy financially and at the end of the day you're asking people are getting mad at millionaires who are saying what the hell's going on why are you trying to take our money to the billionaires. So well, let, let me jump in here, Rob, just before Cope chimes in, because baseball, since the steroid era, has done everything they can do to make sure that there aren't superstars. I mean, I've never seen a talent like Mike Trout before that could walk down Main Street in any town in America and not get recognized. That couldn't happen to LeBron James or Steph Curry or Tom Brady or anything like that. I mean, even Zlatan Ibrahimovic in L.A., where soccer is not number one by a long shot, everybody knew who he was. Baseball has done everything they can to, oh, since the steroid era to make sure that the voices of the players have as little power as possible. And I think that's what's happening right now. The, the superstars aren't speaking out because the superstar in baseball doesn't hold the same power. And really, they just have run the risk of making themselves look bad, which is kind of what Snell has done. Well, it's absolutely true. And I think that you look at these other leagues like we're talking about. Obviously, in the NFL, nobody has power except the owners and the shield itself, right? In in the NBA, it's completely the other side. It seems like it's like the players and the superstars that Rob is talking about have all of the power. And Major League Baseball, the funny thing Rob said is players in the NBA want to get traded and they're traded like in a month. They'll say they want to be traded and they're like, oh, yeah, and you got to trade me to that team so I can play with my friends. And then they'll move them. They're like, they're like yeah, no problem, dude. You're going to the Clippers, uh, Paul George. You're on your way. We'll send you right over. Uh, crazy stuff, dude. It's crazy how that shit goes down. Um, but the thing with with the uh, with the baseball superstars, it's funny you mentioned that, Rob, because you're not the first person to say this, and I think that's why players are speaking up. Andrew Jones, um, former Baltimore Oriole, I think he played for the Diamondbacks last year. He's over in Japan right now. Do you now. mean he Adam Jones? On, what did I say, Andrew Jones? Andrew Excuse Jones, me, Andrew Jones who, Andrew by Jones, the way, the former Brave. if I can just interject, <laughs> should be a Hall of Famer. If you look at his his numbers, the oh, what does he have? Ten Gold Gloves is. Probably the best center fielder in baseball for for a large chunk of his career. Andrew Jones snubbed in the Hall of Fame so far. Hopefully after he, he gets hit the there. 50, after he hit the fifty bombs, he fell off. But he also did go to Japan, I believe, at the end of his career and had a had a huge couple of seasons. Anyway, Adam Jones, thanks for the correction there. Uh, again, keeping things accurate here on the Seamheads. Uh, on his Twitter yesterday, said it's time for big guys in the MLB to speak up. This is your time to speak. Stop holding your tongue. People follow and listen to you. I'm not going to name names because there's a lot of you people. Uh, who cares what you make? You earned it. Who cares about backlash? All caps, time to speak the F up. Now, Trevor Bauer went on ESPN. Uh, this was Thursday morning, this morning, as we record this podcast, Thursday afternoon. And he said to the guys, Carl Ravitch, and I think it was uh, it was Eduardo Perez on the, uh, the KBO baseball broadcast. He says, the ask for us, the proposal for us to come back, the ask is basically take more risk by getting back sooner and take less pay than we've already agreed. We agreed to take a 50% cut, and now they're asking us to take another pay cut. A 50-50 revenue split has never been done in baseball. It's not collectively bargained. It would just be for this season. It doesn't sit well with me. Slightly light, he says, slightly lighthearted. But if I'm going to have to trust my salary to Rob Manfred marketing the game to make more money for the gang, then I am out on that. Ted, that is exactly what you're talking about. I mean, the thing is, though, with all of these statements, and I'm not saying I agree, but it's something we are seeing I've talked to a lot of baseball fans this morning, my closest group of friends who are all, you know, A's heads, and they're like, I want to see baseball. I want to see baseball. I want to see baseball. Because from their point of view, they're like, hey, man, I, you know, I'm still working. I'm still doing my thing. They want to be able to have the distraction. And they're saying these guys are already, you know, making huge amounts of money anyway. 
I mean, that, that's that's the thing. It doesn't matter if these players speak out because you're getting to the point where fans are frustrated. Because, like, here's the deal is they're like, well, these healthy athletes, these are the people that are least likely to be affected by the virus anyway, which is relatively true. But imagine what happens if Mike Trout never has the same lung function after getting coronavirus, stuff like that. Like, I mean, you're entering this realm of unknown that we've never dealt with before. And fans are frustrated because they're like, I don't care about your risk. I care about the fact that you're still getting big money. I'm not saying I agree with that sentiment, but that is a large contingent of baseball fans right now who are looking at this and saying, you're still making way more money than I am. I don't care about your 50-50 split. I don't care about your reduced pay. You're still being put in far less risk with far more oversight in terms of risk and testing than the average American in is then you're going to get paid to play baseball. So, I mean, that that's the other side to it. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that's the voice that I'm hearing in response to, to, to Snell and Bauer and, and Adam Jones. The owners of these MLB franchises must be grinning from ear to ear because he, here's what's happening. They have framed this whole situation as a, we are ready to get back to baseball. We just need these baseball players who already make a bunch of money. We just need them to okay it. And then all you unhappy fans who just want baseball back, you get it right away. And the way they frame it, you put these players in a no-win situation. They take a, a shitty deal that completely takes advantage of them in a situation like this. And they're putting themselves in physical harm's way and financial harm's way, not just this season, but moving forward. Or if you decide not to do that, then the entirety of the anger seems to be directed towards these players instead of saying, well, why can't these owners just continue to pay them what they agreed upon and then have them get back, right? Like it's just, these players are stuck in a situation where the public perception is going to be, they are the roadblock. They are the reason we don't have baseball right now, or we might not have it a month from now. And when you frame it that way, I mean, these owners, you, it's not just about this season moving forward. I guarantee some of the small market teams and the A's might be one of these teams they can say, look, we didn't make nearly as much in revenue last year because of the, the coronavirus shutdown. We're going to have to keep our payroll down. Sorry, hate to do it, but we're going to have to cut our costs so that we can make our money. And so it's just a really terrible situation. I, I would like for Major League Baseball to come in and say, look, if there's any teams that are struggling with their their lack of revenue from this shutdown in 2020, moving forward, we will compensate the difference so they don't have to lower payrolls. But that's not going to happen. And, and and you just look, again, it's a situation where people are defending owners. People are defending the the billionaires because they say these millionaires are just so... I can't believe they're demanding to be paid more when they get paid so much. How about these billionaire owners who year in and year out, make how much money from a season? You think a player is rich. A player is only rich because someone way richer than him can afford to pay them that sum of money. Well, well, but here's the, here's the deal, Rob. Professional teams many times don't make a dollar-per-dollar dollar profit relatively. A lot of them, it's the equity value that goes up and up. So that's, that's, part, of, that's part of the argument, and the owners are going to take it on the teeth. But the only difference to me is that this year their equity value might not go up as much. Like and that's still, what they're concerned about. So that's, yeah. I've, I've seen that, that argument. Buster Olney was talking about that the other day with the Chicago Cubs. Like they bought all this land, they had, out by Sheffield Avenue and Waveland Avenue or whatever, and they were going to build a bunch of crap out there. I don't know. But now they're worried about the value of their 
uh, of the land that they've purchased around the ballpark because there is no business around there, which is yeah. a, a real issue. So I, I understand those are, we're talking about two different things here, but I get what you're saying about the value of the team being affected. Those Forbes rankings that come out of here, that's where the owners are like, I want to see what my team is. That's yeah. Those are the guys who want to see that shit, right? Who are like, let's see who the top 10 teams are uh, across pro sports based on the Forbes rankings. Let me ask you guys a quick question before we change topics. I do want to get into a little bit of A's stuff here uh, as we're doing a little A's talk during the, the quarantine. Uh, does this week make you more skeptical about the return of baseball or does it make you more encouraged? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I, you know what I've been telling people copes is let's watch what happens in Germany with their soccer league getting going. Cause how quickly that, that that's the litmus test for the world right now. Let's see how that works. If that works, then yeah, I think baseball will get going. I just think that's the big, that's the one that everything hinges on how that first week or first two weeks goes then that's going to tell us what happens for baseball hockey nba major league soccer not, now money not money notwithstanding i mean money these, notwithstanding these, i'm just right. talking about what happens with regard to the virus because I'm, I'm afraid of this i'm afraid of the money thing now becoming a bigger anyway sorry yeah that's your I, I'm, I'm with you if, if we can get the health thing out of the way i think it changes stuff for the players yeah because they, yeah exactly because they're going to see what they do and then they're going to see whether or not that works to make the players safe and baseball players reps and the owners are going to be able to say, okay, that's the model it's working. How does that make you feel? And then that can either shut everything down or it can allow talks to continue. The fact that we're hearing the the verbiage proposal, the fact that they are talking so much about how they're going to implement a return to baseball. That is a positive thing that I think bodes well for seeing baseball in 2020. However, when you start hearing that players are starting to be more vocal and especially like Ted was saying and then Adam was talking we were talking about this before we started recording that you don't hear baseball players speak out basically ever they're very quiet they're very you're part of a team you put your head down you don't make a big fuss so the fact that we're hearing players actually saying their complaints out loud I think that's a sign that you know the, the players as a whole are probably unhappy that they are being asked to to get paid less to take more concessions to put themselves in harm's way. So in that aspect, I think I am less expecting a season to start up, but it just, there's so much up in the air. Again, if, if the proposal comes through and the players hate it, well, all of a sudden now we're saying maybe no baseball in 2020. And then a week later, the owners say, you know what? We can't just ask them to take another pay cut. Here's another proposal. Cause we really just need, we need games to get going because for every day that there's no baseball, these owners are losing money or, or at least the, the value will slightly increase at a at less of a rate, but they want games to be played. And I think right now it might not seem like it, but the players have all the leverage and they can say, look for my health and for my family, yeah, it sucks that I might not get paid this season, but I, I think players who especially have made money in the past I think they're more willing to sit out and say, I'm not going to I'm not going to put myself in harm's way unnecessarily. And and these owners are just desperate to get the revenue streams flowing again. So I think we still see baseball in 2020. If I was a betting man, I say this pr uh, proposition that's being sent to the players union to these players, I think it's going to get turned down. And I think within a week or two, we're going to see another proposal that's a lot more friendly to the players. And I think that'll get accepted.
my my the thing about that, Rob, is you're saying like you know players who have made money may be more likely to say, hey, I can sit on some of this cash I've got and, and not risk my my family. But you've got Blake Snell saying, I I don't want to risk it anyway. And and looking at what his salary was, so he was bought out of his arbitration years, I believe, after he won the Cy Young. Um, he was scheduled to make he's making fifty million over five years. He got a million dollar base salary last year. This year he was supposed to finally get his bump. He was going to get up to seven million. It looks like seven point six total, maybe uh, eleven total with all the the adjustments or whatever it is. I'm looking at his spot track here, but you're talking immediately. You cut that in half. He's down to five. Now you're saying take less than that. He was finally ready for his payday, and he's now saying, I'm not going to play if I don't make enough money. So, you know, even a guy who has not got his huge payday yet is saying, I, I but, don't but know. But, Copes, how- the, the, the American looks at those numbers and says, okay, he's still making oh, 300000 oh, every two oh, weeks. Ted, and I, I don't dispute that. I'm just, I'm saying from Rob's point about oh, players yeah. who maybe have had money, this is a guy who hasn't even made all the money yet for him to say, oh, I'm set for life. This isn't, by any stretch, is he not set for life. So I'm saying he's willing to say, hey, I would turn down even half that money right now and not go play. I'm saying I think it's across the board with players' fear for their safety is, is really my point. I'm really interested to see what happens in the next collective bargaining agreement. There is a possibility that we might see a strike. I know it's, it's that's not what anyone wants to talk about because we already don't have baseball. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of guys that you get drafted and now they're cutting the draft to five rounds, right? And anything after those five rounds, you can give, I think it's $20,000 is the max you can give a player. That's a lot of guys that are not making money right away. And then you talk about three, four, five minor league seasons where you're getting paid less than the average American by a lot. I mean, the average AAA player makes well under $30,000 in a year. And so you talk about that and then you get to the big leagues and then you get your league minimum for three years and then you're eligible for arbitration. And so players who used to hold out and well, I'm just going to make it. And then when I hit free agency, I'm going to get that huge contract. Now we're seeing a lot of these big contracts not being signed, right? We're, we're not seeing the giant 10, 13 year extensions, except in the rare cases of the, the Bryce Harpers. But I, I'm very curious to see if in the next collective bargaining agreement, there is more of a focus on giving these players some financial help before they get that, that first big contract, because I mean, there's uh, if you're already scheduled to make league minimum, which is 500 and something thousand, right? And you're taking half of that, you're at 200 something thousand. I would love to make $200,000 a year, but I also know that like I am not working for a company that on, on average makes billions of dollars annually. And so if I was a minor league player, if I'm a rookie and I'm on, I'm on a league minimum contract, I'd be pissed. And, and so uh, it's only a matter of time, I think, before the players union starts really factoring in minor league players and and undrafted players who are going to be in the big leagues 10, 15, 20 years from now. But I'm curious to see if this shutdown, if the financial insecurity of some of these players will be talked about in the next collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, that's going to be something that's definitely a factor and, and will weigh on uh, on the decisions that are made in that next agreement. But uh, wonder if A's fans are starting to think, hey, maybe if uh, if football doesn't come back and baseball does, Kyler Murray will come back on over and uh, <laughs> pick up a bat, huh? No, I don't know. I was just throwing it out there. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine. 
Whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com slash athletic for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. Hey, let's let's um. I, I just briefly want to talk about this because I want to give our, our girl Alex Coffee a plug. Uh, she of course covers the uh, the A's right here for the Athletic, um, and she was getting ready to start her first season. She's put out some incredible pieces already while we're on the um, uh, the quarantine right now. But she put out a piece yesterday. Get this: she tracked down Sandy Koufax and got Sandy Koufax to talk about how he kind of took Dave Stewart under his wing when a young 19, 20 year old Dave Stewart was down in uh, in the Dodgers organization and the similarities between their two careers. Ted, did you get a chance to look at this article? Or Rob, this this article blew my mind. The fact, A, that she got a text saying, yeah, Sandy's good to go. He'll be there in 10 minutes. He's going to call you. Uh, That was kind of cool. And then the similarities between these two guys. Basically, what I took away from is that they both put the fear of life in other teams so much so that they felt like they had the game won before they stepped on the mound. Yeah, just the idea of developing the stare, developing 95 miles per hour, throwing inside, making the other team fear you. That is what what I took away because really, I mean, the, the legend of Sandy Koufax for people our age, it's more legendary than a known entity. Like I He's know cartoon, Dave Stewart, yeah. but I yeah. don't know Sandy Koufax. I know the lore, but I don't know. The, I don't. I didn't watch him pitch. So to hear the similarities and hear about that building up that ideology, I thought that was the most interesting part to me. It's also a really cool thing hearing Sandy Koufax, how he doesn't want to take a lot of credit for things. He said everything that Dave Stewart accomplished, he accomplished because he did it. Like, don't give don't give me the credit for it. Um, I thought that was, you know, just really cool. There's always people that that inflate themselves up or they say, oh, yeah, they they're only having success because I taught them something. It just seems like such a great baseball mind to be able to talk to and, and Sandy Koufax. And, you know, from the the simple thing of asking, do you always keep your hat? that high why don't you pull it down as low as you can and it, it kind of helped him frame the strike zone and and just the overall the the career arc from Dave Stewart and being told okay get rid of this forkball pitch as a junk pitch and then coming finally when he ends up in Oakland hey why haven't you been throwing this pitch more and then adjusting and having variations of your of your curveball you know it just it was really really interesting and the cool thing too is Sandy Koufax mentors Dave Stewart. And what have we seen the past couple seasons? Dave Stewart talked to Sean Manaya about his mentality on the mound, being confident, being aggressive. He talked to Frankie Montas. He this offseason was talking a lot to AJ Puck and was and was saying that, like, you know, he's got all the stuff, but he needs to develop that fear. He needs the the hitters to step in the box and immediately be afraid. And so it's really cool seeing that the information that Sandy Koufax handed down to him. He's relaying to these young A's pitchers, which just kind of brings it all full circle. And might I say, if we have a, an A's Dodgers World Series in the future that Sandy Koufax might be watching and Dave Stewart might be watching, seeing, you know, this this continual tree of knowledge being passed down. I think that's pretty cool. It's it's super cool. One of the funny things I love, one of the lines out of this article um, 
from Dave Stewart is is they're talking about just the the S he would talk like before he went out to pitch and uh, and there's one where it says before uh, he faced the Dodgers in the '88 World Series he told uh, Steve Sachs that he was going to drill him in his neck. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Okay, yeah. so he doesn't. So get this. They get into the game. He doesn't drill him in his neck. He drills him in the shoulder, right? And they ask Stewart about it afterwards, and he's like, yeah, I pitch inside. That pitch just got away from me. And, and, and Alex Coffey, uh, to her credit, just puts in a totally separate paragraph. Right. Yeah. Okay, Dave. You said you were going to drill him in his neck. It's one of the, the all-time great ones. And I remember Jose Mesa one time. Um, uh, you remember when the Indians were making those runs, Ted, back in the, oh, in yeah. the 90s? Back-to-back pennants, I think they went. Lost to the 90, I want to say 95, and then, or maybe it was 2 and 3. Was it 95 and then 97 they lost the World Series? Uh, anyway, they um, uh, Omar Vizquel was a shortstop on those teams. And Jose Mesa, remember that pitcher? He was a closer, I think, yeah, for those Indian teams. He was great for a while. Dude, he was really good. So I think it was after <laughs> after the, they lose both of those World Series uh, and they definitely lose that one in 97. Of course, the walk-off hit. Uh, uh, Renteria drives in Craig Council. Um, Omar Vizquel, I guess, said to the media, like, ah, I'm blaming Jose Mesa for it. Jose Mesa then every said it, to the media publicly, every time I face Omar Vizquel for the rest of my career, I'm going to throw at him and I'm going to hit him in his head. And if he charges the mound, I'll kill him. <laughs> no, 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 he said, Wasn't he that said even my little boy told me to get him. If I face him 10 more times, I'll hit him 10 times. I want to kill him. <laughs> Jesus. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. By the way, they faced each other, and I, and I don't recall what the uh, what the results were. We should probably check the head-to-head Omar Vizquel <laughs> v. Jose Mesa. Anyway, funny, funny stuff there. I recommend you check out the article. It's on theathletic.com right now. It's titled, How Sandy Koufax Unleashed Dave Stewart's Stare on the Baseball World. Hey, so since we didn't have a guest today, uh, I want to throw out one more fun little bit to you guys. Um, and, and maybe it's something we should give a go to when we get baseball back. Uh, or maybe we shouldn't. I just found out about this thing uh, known as the Babe Ruth Challenge. Or, Ted, you may be familiar with this, the 999. Do you know about this thing? No. So the 999 is evidently a challenge that often goes down. I don't know if it's often. Sometimes goes down at baseball games or with groups of dudes watching ball. Um, you try to go nine dogs, nine beers, in nine innings. <laughs> We're oh, talking a man. marathon of a meal here. Thoughts, and is it possible to do? It's possible to do, but I think that for me, that would destroy my stomach. I'd spend the second half of the game down in those dogs and beers on the on the on the John. <laughs> like, I would just, especially like ballpark dogs, like those those are just sitting in a vat of grease. That would destroy me. Oh, at least they're not those like Kansas City Royals dollar dogs that remember a few years back they oh, yeah. had mold on the on the buns and everything and they're like, hey, it's a dollar. What do you expect? Whoa. But I remember the good old days at the Coliseum for for uh, what was it dollar Wednesday Wednesdays? dollar yeah, Wednesdays dollar days. and Hell yeah, man. yeah. But uh, you know this is a, a very unpopular take, but I'm not. I don't like hot dogs. I'm not a big yeah, hot I'm, dog I'm guy at you, all. Rob. I'm not a I'm not a dog guy. I like sausages, hot dogs though. They're they're not they're not my thing. That's all right. Like I'm a big, I'm a big sausage and dog guy. And I think, I think I could, I think I could put away some dogs, but I don't know that I could eat like nine hot dogs. Sounds gross. Nine I hot like dogs sounds, sounds gross. Home. I would see, I think I would do it at home. And I was, I was toying with the idea of maybe doing it like during a, during one of these KBO games on a Saturday night, like oh, trying to get in God. nine dogs and started at like 11 PM and try that to sounds miserable. No, dude, here's, here's what you do to pace yourself. You make sure it's a nationally televised game between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Cause that'll take you know, four and half a half day. Hours, yeah. yeah. And so you just, you get Bud Lights or like Michelob Ultra uh. and you just, you go and you, those dude, I was looking at some hot dogs at the store yesterday. There's, 
there's like kids hot dogs. I mean, you you don't get like the the Dodger the all beef Dodger dog that they sell at you know it's like 300 cal- calories beast. But I, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm a disgusting binge eater. I can do this no problem. I just see my thing is I think I could drink like nine light beers during a game. I could put away nine 12 ounce beers during a nine, oh, nine inning game. Oh, I it would could be not, I don't know. No. See, I don't know about easy. I I still think Dude, I would get Bud because like. Dude, they go down the like lights, water. You could, yeah, you could crush two. Here's my thing: is is the hot dog and the bun? That's what would get you. That would back you up. The thing that I'm wondering about is like, do people set out? This is a good question. I think do people set out to do the nine nine nine, or is it like a perfect game where like you're four innings in and you realize what's going on, and then you you start rallying a little bit and you're like, hey, I might I might be in the middle of something special here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any sane human is just like, oh, I accidentally ate nine hot dogs and nine beers during well, a game. I had four, I had four in four innings, and you're like, hey, I'm kind of, I'm on pace right now. I should pick it up. I think a normal person would feel their gut just wrenching and be like, yeah, maybe I'll stop at four hot dogs, man. I remember during the uh, 2014 wild card game, I had made a bunch of food in meal prep, and I had uh, gotten four jumbo onions, and I had chopped them all. And over the course of that game, I ate four onions. And I was like, Jesus, I did not intend to do that. And like, that was not the only thing I ate either. But like, you, yeah, you could totally, uh, for, at least for me, I can accidentally eat a lot. Okay. So I, are, are we talking about like a stressful playoff game? Because if that's the case, I definitely stress eat. Like when I'm nervous, I just start munching mindlessly. So if I did oh, have yeah. to try it, I'd want it to be like a close game that had big implications because. Wow. Yeah, I remember. See, I, I, I remember I that 2014 wild card game, and I was an absolute wreck for all five plus hours of it. That that was yeah. one of well, the toughest my, games for me in my entire life. That may have been a different game because I want to say that after the 2014 game, I think I may have gone to In and Out and uh, anger eaten in the parking lot of the In and Out. Two triple triples, animal fries, milkshake, and an extra large diet coke. Well, guys, I, I uh, no no need to stress eat uh, in the 2019 wildcard game because that one was over before it started. Um, that's going to wrap it up today for the uh, Heads. We'll be back with more baseball uh, discussion for you guys uh, on Monday. Um, by the way, if you're enjoying the podcast, please go and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you're listening to us. If you'd like to get a free 90-day trial of The Athletic, uh, go to theathletic.com slash seamheads. You can get your free 90-day trial. You can also check out that great Dave Stewart, Sandy Koufax article written by Alex Coffey. We'll be back talking more baseball with you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>